Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine radio show. The show that is so bad if age were IQ, this show wouldn't even qualify for AARP. Now, I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It is the Pipes Magazine radio show, the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining weekly broadcast. I am your host, Brian Levine, and it's Thursday night, Pipe Night in America. Well, maybe not in America, but uh, Pipe Night all around the world. In today's show, my guest, Frank Burla of the uh, Frank P. Burla Tobacchiana Museum, Gonna have uh, gonna have Frank give us a walkthrough of the museum, talk about some of his pieces in the museum. It's gonna be a lot of fun. I've been there. I know you'll enjoy this. In pipe parts, don't be afraid of the dark. Yeah, we'll talk a little bit about black tobacco, all kinds of black tobacco. In uh, music, I got another clip from Rick Newcomb from the audio book, so that'll be later on. Mailbag and rant all coming your way in this episode of the Pipes Magazine radio show. So, hope everybody had an enjoyable Labor Day weekend in North America for the rest of you out in the rest of the world. Hope you had a good normal weekend. Got a lot coming up in the next few weeks, but in the meantime, I do want to remind you, please make sure and send me Any comments, your favorite segments, favorite guests, favorite parts of the shows from the past year so that we can finish up gathering all that stuff and getting ready for the uh, one-year anniversary show coming up. Don't forget i got a special guest for that one. You can send all those favorite moments to me either as a private message on Facebook, a private message on PipesMagazine.com, or email them to me Brian at PipesMagazine.com. Remember, it's B-R-I-A-N at PipesMagazine.com. That's going to be a fun show. i got a special guest lined up for it. Uh, Speaking of special guests, some of the guests in the future that we've already got committed that are of big names, Tom Eltang, Todd Johnson, working on getting Gregory Pease back on the show, So, got a lot of great stuff coming up for you in the uh, upcoming episodes. All right, everybody, let's get this one going. So, sit back, relax, fire up a bowl. Thank you to Sutliff Tobacco Company. Here we go. I'm Mark from Ohio, and I've tried so many tobaccos, but I just still can't find something that is just magical, a tobacco that I can fall in love with. I mean, I've tried reading reviews online and participating in forum discussions only to get burned. When I was about to give up, I discovered this amazing matching system for finding my perfect blend at SutliffTobacco.com. That's how I found my perfect blend, and I just love it. Finding the right tobacco doesn't have to be hard. There are lots of tobaccos waiting for you to fall in love with them. Finding that special tobacco shouldn't be left up to chance. Experience the magic of compatibility with our patented Perfect Match system. Try it at SutliffTobacco.com. Go to SutliffTobacco.com right now and find your perfect blend.
Welcome back. In just a few minutes, Frank Burla. And uh, did I mention I have a rant at the end? It's a tall rant, too, so you'll have to hang on for that. But let's get started with dark tobacco. Or as I said, don't be afraid of the dark. Once you start down the dark path, forever will it dominate your destiny. No, I don't think it'll dominate your destiny, but... I do think that a lot of people are afraid of dark tobacco. Every tobacco starts out in a light color. So let's go back to the beginning. You get your basic Virginias, Burleys, and Orientals that are basically green leaves, and they're cured in different ways to come out in different colors and different processes. All right, so we got that. Now, when you look at the basic black Cavendish, which is by far the most commonly used component tobacco in pipes. The basic black Cavendish is essentially a Virginia tobacco that is steamed and pressurized and steamed and pressurized and turned and pressed until it turns completely black. While it may look exceptionally intimidating, what they've essentially done is taken almost all of the nicotine out of it and smoothed it out and milded it out and then put a little bit of a flavoring on it in aromatics. So, black Cavendish, perfectly mild, lightly sweet, low-impact tobacco, perfect base blend for all the aromatics. In pipe tobacco going forward, you'll see stoved tobaccos. Don't be afraid of those stove tobaccos. When they're stoving Virginias, it's almost essentially the same process, although each manufacturer's got their own little secret tweaks to how they do it. But by stoving it, again, they're speeding up the aging process, trying to get as many of those bitter things out of the tobacco as possible, trying to keep the flavor with it still, and trying to keep some of the nicotine, some of the natural oils in it, but they're essentially speeding up the aging process of it and kind of mellowing it out. So again, when you see the word stoved Virginia, don't automatically think that that's, oh, dark, I'm scared. You know, that's going to be a high-impact, heavy-hitting tobacco. No, it's going to be kind of mellowed out or speed-aged. When you look at a fire-cured or flu-cured tobacco like a Burley, Burleys naturally have a little more... uh, a little more bite to them, a little more punchiness to them. So you go all the way back to Lucky Strike cigarettes where they toasted the Burleys to get the, uh, to help get some of the bitiness out of it. And Burley to me has, and this is me, you know, me, the leading expert on my own opinion, uh, Burley has a natural sweetness to it and may have a little bit more nicotine content to it, but Burleys tend to be a little bit darker and have a little nicotine content to it. Uh, Latakia is just a process of flu curing or fire curing a specific oriental leaf. And the darker it gets, the milder it's going to get, even though I don't like any of it. But the darker it gets, the milder it's going to get. You're kind of smoking out a lot of those impurities in it. The reason I know this is uh, for a fact is because in cigars, the darker the wrapper leaf is, the Maduros tend to be less bitey, more on the sweet side, more smoother. Same thing goes along with beer, too. Many of us, when we started out, we were afraid of dark beers. Well, dark beers are not 
in general, nearly as bitter as some of the lighter Pilsners or IPAs or ales or whatever. Dark beers tend to be a little sweeter, more chocolate-ier. Chocolate-ier? There we go. And they tend to be a little just easier to drink, although big in flavor, not a lot of impact on them. So the same thing goes all the way back to cigars, goes back to pipe tobacco. Don't be afraid of those really dark tobaccos in there. Those aren't the ones that are real high nicotine content, high impact, real bitey. Remember, most people that start off smoking start off with an aromatic, and what they're really fighting with the bitiness is is the moisture content in there in the casings and learning how to pack a pipe. When you switch over to Virginia's, you've got to learn how to repack that pipe because Virginia's are mostly golden, orange, and red, and they're you know very bitey. They can get very hot. So it's really not the dark tobaccos. So that's why I say don't be afraid of the dark. Play around with some dark tobaccos. If you've got a blend that's burning, a Virginia blend that's burning a little too hot for you, pick up some basic unflavored black Cavendish. Sprinkle it in there maybe about 5-10%. See how that black Cavendish just will get in there and kind of cool down a blend. And that's why you see a lot of blends have a little bit of black Cavendish in it, a little bit of black Cavendish in it, or they'll have a little bit of Perique in it because Perique almost works the same way. But a little bit of black Cavendish will help cool down a lot of these blends. So don't be afraid of the dark. Hey, in just a few minutes, we'll get uh, Frank Burla here and We'll be afraid of uh, something that he's got in his museum. Just wait and find out. This is Internet Radio. Do you need a reliable source for ordering pipes and tobacco? Do you find it difficult to get your favorite blends outside of the U.S.? Fournoggins.com stocks all of your favorite pipes and tobaccos and ships all over the world. All forms of payment are accepted and orders are processed the same day. There are no worries when ordering from Fournoggins.com. Fournoggins.com is your source for all of your pipes and tobacco needs. We ship in the U.S. and international with no worries. Fournoggins.com for all of your pipes and tobacco needs. There's nothing quite like hunting at dawn or smoking my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe, an American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. Check them out at corncobpipe.com. Joining me on the Pipes Magazine radio show, direct from the suburbs of Chicago in an undisclosed location because it's so top secret, nobody really knows where it is except I've been there, is the one and only Frank Burla, owner and uh, curator of the uh, Frank P. Burla Tabacchiana Museum. Did I say it correctly, Frank? Yes, Brian. How are you doing? You doing okay? I'm doing good. So I've been to the museum, but what I thought would be kind of fun for everybody was, you know, first of all, we'll talk about how the museum got, how you got started with it, how you got started collecting, but once we go through that, we'll have you take us on a uh, kind of a walking tour of the museum. How does that sound? It's okay with me. All right. So how did you get started collecting tobacco-related items? Well, back in 1962, when I was getting ready to go to college, Loyola University, all my friends told me it would be a big plus with the young ladies if I started smoking a pipe. So I went to the local pipe shop, Iwin Reese in Chicago, bought a pipe and saw a rare pipe, which was an antique pipe. I bought a pipe to smoke, and I bought an antique pipe. 
And then later on, uh, I became more involved with collecting antique pipes as the history major at the school, and I started collecting pipes. So I've been collecting since 1962. That's, that's a long time. What, and when did the museum actually get its own location? The museum got its own location in 1994. Uh, being an only child, when my mother gave up her condominium to go to a nursing home, I needed a place to store boxes and boxes of pipes. So I took over the condominium, as I said, as an only child, and eventually it came to me, and uh, it's been there ever since 1994. Now, is all of it in the condominium? No, the condominium uh, is about 1,200 square feet, two bedrooms, a large living room, dining room, etc. I have boxes in garages, too, because there's only so much space. Uh, we have maybe 38 floor to about six and a half, seven foot high uh, glass cases. Uh, we have all types of cases on display, and we rotate the pipes every few months because I want it to be a living museum. So the museum is just a sample, really, of your entire collection. It's a major sample of the entire collection, and it's a unique museum. It's not just a, a museum that holds pipes. I go through the evolution of tobacco from about the 1600s to about 1920s, and then we have a few items up to the 2000s. We not only have pipes, we have accessories, we have smoking chairs, we have cigar store Indians, uh, we have rare tobaccos going back to the 1880s, unopened still with the revenue seals. Uh, we have many, many items, in the, including parts, uh, cigar-related items, literature. Uh, we have a pretty decent library, about 700 books going back to the 1600s. But the books in the 1600s are either in Latin or Greek. But we get through them. Well, that's why you have Be Dino can read them for you. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, people who come for the first time, when they hear the word museum, they walk in and they figure there might be one or two display cases with a couple of pipe racks. And then three or four hours later, as they go through, they're... Uh, uh, they're usually uh, surprised and have a lot of questions and want to come back a second time. The only thing I have when, <clears throat> when people come, there's no cost to get to the museum. And I tell the people I can guarantee them a clean bathroom, a cold drink, and a snack. As you know, and the bathroom was clean when you were here until you left. The, the bathtub was full of pipes, though. Now it's full of uh, antique uh, tobacco magazines from the 1860s to 1910. <laughs> plenty, of, plenty of reading if necessary. Definitely, definitely. The problem is when you get to my age, after you read something, you forget 90% of it. So take us on the walking tour. You come up, you come up onto the floor with the, of the condo. You come in the door. What's the, what's the first thing we see when we come in the door? When you walk in the door, the first thing you see on your right is a seven-and-a-half-foot bronze statuary, Queen Mondo. Uh, she was created in the lost wax method in Europe and then sent to one of the African nations. And uh, it's a beautiful statuary. It's a female, 
weighs about 440 pounds, and many people love it because first it's it's so high, and then unfortunately the top half of her is nude. I hope I'm not ruining the radio program. Oh no, it's so, it, it's for adults only here. Okay, so because many of the collectors, especially from Asia or from Europe, who come over, uh, they told me that it's good luck to rub her breast. So they take a picture <laughs> rubbing her breast. And then every couple of months I have to darken them because they've made them so shiny. <laughs> and, and I've heard stories that she may move around at night. Yes, I've had uh, several men pipe tobacco-related people spend the night here, and depending what they've drank, and I have free alcohol for them, they swear that she attacks them. <laughs> All right, and, so, uh, so we've gotten past your guard. What's next? Next, we have a series in the living room of ceiling-the-floor display cases with tobacco items from the early 1900s till about 1960. Uh, we have... Uh, Build tobacco pouches, cases, tobacco tins, and glass jars, because that's what were used earlier. We have uh, old lighters. Uh, we have uh, a lot of Dunhill products. Uh, we have old cigars intact. We have some of the old political items from the 60s and 70s and 80s that was used to monitor who would be elected to the, the uh, highest political offices. We have a few bookcases with random area books. Uh, then we have cigar-related items and pipe-related items, including the equipment used in the 17 and 1800s to help make the product. You know, they didn't have electric at that time or fancy machines. Then we have old penny cigar machines where you put a penny and you get a, a pack of matches. Uh, we got the cut plug machines there. Uh, we've got many, many items around the area. We also have ivory pipes lined up, uh, Staffordshire pipes, Wedgwood pipes, the prototypes of the Briar pipes from the 1880s onwards, including many of the patents, single bowls up to four bowl pipes at that time. Four we bowls on one Briar pipe? Four bowls on one Briar pipe, yes, we have that. Uh, then we have uh, purses that were made in the prisons where the people earned money by using the cigarette pouch outer labels to make purses. I've got one here in Camels and one here in Lucky Strikes. Uh, we have uh, humidors. Uh, we have, by humidors, I'm talking about what they would be called uh, tobacco jars from the 16 to the 1800s in pewter, lead, iron, steel, etc. Uh, we have tobacco weighing scales from the 1800s from the Denmark area. Uh, we have pipes from Africa, and this is all in these little in this little room. We're actually a big room. And of course, there's various items, including one whole shelf devoted to a man you remember, Tom Dunn. Remember Tom? Absolutely. His brother Frank sent me what was on his desk when he had died because Tom and I were pretty good friends and yeah. many of the people just spend several minutes looking over his things there. Then we have to, uh, the old tobacco cutters. We have the flint lighters, you know, the uh, 
the uh, the old lighters before uh, we had matches and before we had uh, our, our regular lighters. When you're talking about tobacco cutters, you're talking about the, the cutters that a retailer would have where they'd put the rope in there and you'd buy it by the inch and they'd cut it yes, off? Yes, we had that. Yes, we, we had that too. And, and we had the barter tobacco, which was, as you said, rolled by the inch, where an inch in the 1800s could get you a fence pole or an inch and a half could get you maybe a chicken in barter and trading. <laughs> you are correct. <laughs> No chickens there, right? No, no chickens here. There's a little of everything in here. Many old campers, miniature items. As I mentioned, ivory pipes. Uh, it's a, a combination of everything in the first two rooms. Now, also in uh, that in that front room is also the uh, uh, there's a table and chairs for people to sit down and smoke and have a drink. Correct. There's a table for them to sit. And on the walls are display cases with meerschaum and ivory pipes. And then it's right next to the kitchen. They sit down here and they talk. What we found out is when people come, if we go through a complete tour, they forget more than they learn. So after every room, we'll sit down and they'll, they'll drink. And if they uh, need a cigar, I have them. If they need pipe tobacco, I have it. If they need a pipe, I have it for them. The pipes are all cleaned and ready to go. Now, if and I course, if I came over right now, what kind of pipe tobacco is open for me to try? Well, you and I probably love the same tobacco. Uh, Gregory's Maltese Falcon. I think you worked on putting that name together, didn't you? I helped him with the name a little bit. So I have that. I have the Dunhill 965. I have all right in front of me an old Balkan Sobrani. Uh, I have another one you probably remember, Baby's Bottom. Heard heard of it, seen it, never tried it. Well, you probably never will. They're too rare right now. So that's basically in the first room, the dining room and the main living room as I brought you in there. Now, before uh, we so before we go to the break, tell us what kind of what kind of drinks might you offer us? Well, first of all, I don't drink. For those who do not drink. I have a refrigerator here with about nine different types of sodas, both diet and regular, caffeine-free and, and regular. Then for those who do drink, I have single malt scotch, VSOP cognac. I just bought another bottle of Bombay Sapphire because some guy only drinks that when he comes. What I try to do is if I get a visitor for the first time, I ask what they drink, and then I have it waiting for them. You know that, and you know I have a rule. I get you the first drink after that. My house is your house. <laughs> and good luck finding the second one. <laughs> well, people enjoy it. Uh, I've had several seniors here, and I'm getting there myself. I'm going to be 70 shortly, but I mean by seniors, 85- and 90-year-old men who come from around the world. First thing they do is take off their jacket and tie when they come in. Then they take off their shoes, and they're on their knees because they said they've learned through the years that in display cases, some of the most unusual items are on the lower shelves. <laughs> and they are right. I have honors boxes on the lower shelf. You know what those are, right? No, explain that. An honors box is a metal box, mechanical, which was created in the uh, first quarter 1800s in Europe. 
and they were in general stores because they didn't have tobacco shops specifically at that time. So in the general store, they'd have this box, and in the box would be tobacco. And for a penny, you'd put a penny in the box, push down on a lever, and a lid would come up, and in there you'd be able to get one bowl of tobacco for the penny. Hmm. And then you would close it, and it was called an honors box because you were on your honor to take just one bowl of tobacco. We're going to take a break right here. When we come back, we're going to talk about the other rooms because we've only gone through the front two so far. So stay with us. We'll be back with more Frank Burla in just a minute. Thank you for calling SmokingPipes.com. This is Barry. How can I help you? Meet Barry. He's our homegrown, all-American family guy in customer service here at SmokingPipes.com. With 25 years of experience in sales, his dedication to customer service makes Barry pretty handy around here. He's on the phone all day helping customers like you from all over the globe pick out great pipes and pipe tobacco. Ciao, Barry. Tell me about your selection of a Savinelli autograph. Don't you know I saw that list of tobacco you carry online there. Maybe you could help me pick out a good Virginia, eh? You see, we hire not only the best people, we hire people who are as passionate about our products as you are. Just ask Barry why he loves his job at SmokingPipes.com. Because I don't just help people choose from our great selection of pipes, I smoke them. Call us at 1-888-366-0345 or check us out online at SmokingPipes.com. We are quality, we are experts, we are SmokingPipes.com. are back frank is still on the phone we're getting ready we're going to go into the other into the back bedrooms i guess and towards the bathroom <laughs> well as we go on as we leave the main living room and where the dining room table was we walked on a slow a small hallway and the first thing down the hallway is a painting by a famous pipe maker and julie and she gave us this as a gift for the museum next to it are walma plaques filled with Indian pipes, either made out of wood or clay, and many other plaques on the wall concerning old tobaccos, uh, contracts for old tobaccos, things along those lines. As we walk into the first of the two bedrooms, uh, this is a pretty good-sized room. It's about uh, 10 by 15 we have a series of display cases. And, again, I mentioned earlier to you the evolution of tobacco and yeah. et cetera. So what we have here is the evolution of the various pipes, starting with the first pipes that we know, the clay pipes. Our clay pipes started about 1615 and worked their way up to about 1912. We have two full display cases of clay pipes, including clay pipe holders. The clay pipe holders were unique because clay pipes were very fragile. Right. And the more expensive clay pipes at that time needed to be protected. So you have clay pipes, clay pipe holders, which aren't just made of wood. They're made of fancy brass or bronze or jewelry. And you insert the clay pipe in the, uh, in the container, and it's secure. Now these holders Next might have been in a uh, they might have been in a house of somebody who was a uh, very wealthy person. Uh, un unfortunately, yes, most of them were at that time. 
so we have the clay pipes and the holders, and then we have a good deal of history on the stems indicating who made them, what manufacturer, etc. Right on top of the cases, we, in England, they had to get guild authorized to make pipes in the 1600s. And I have one of the original guild signs that had to appear at the company's uh, door in order for the government to collect tax and make it authorized. Wow. Next to that, next to that I have a few display cases with early pipes, not clay, but wood, but not briar. You know, these are made of uh, a bramble, made of various types of wood, which was available, cherry wood, uh, things of that nature at that time, uh, mostly from Europe. As you know, pipes were made with the natural resources, which were most readily available at that time, obviously, from trees. The stems were made of reed. Remember the old reed stems? Yep. That still grow. So they had, uh, as I said, the pipes are made of various types of, of wood before briar. Briar really didn't come about until about 1840 to 1850, depending who claims it first. And, of course, St. Claude gets the credit for the briar. But these are all pre-briar pipes in, in the cases. Then we go walking along... And we find the African pipes and the American Indian pipes, all authentic American Indian pipes, including several tomahawk pipes. A tomahawk pipe was used for many reasons. You remember in the 17 and 1800s, people didn't have cars, didn't have uh, didn't have many pockets on their pants, and etc. And any item they had had to have multiple purposes. The tomahawk pipe was used to smoke. But it was also used to mend fences, uh, take the heads off of chickens, and to be used for defense. <laughs> Several of the African pipes that we have here are, were unusual items. Again, they had to have a natural resource available. And many times they used bees nests, the old bees nests, covered it with clay, hollowed it out, and made it a pipe. Then from there we go to the old oriental pipes. By or, old oriental pipes, I'm talking about the water pipe, the opium pipe, the kisaru, which was like a thimble bowl pipe, yeah. and the various containers. So we have a room filled with those, including what they call tobacco bonds. Tobacco bond is like a self-contained item to hold the pipe, the tobacco, the bowls, etc. Uh, we have also in here many items of jewelry. Uh, we have one here that I'm taking out of a box now in which it's 18-karat gold. It's a gentleman walking about three inches high with a very large mother-of-pearl face with rubies and uh, diamonds on it. Wow. That was made for somebody a long time ago, and they uh, donated it to us as a gift when they passed on so that we would have it in memory here at the museum. Plus, in here, we have also bookcases. You've got to remember, in a museum this this small, everything has to be compact, so I've got to put everything close together. <laughs> so we have two bookcases in here, wooden books from about 1680 to about 1820, 
most of those I was able to buy from uh, Dr. Giuseppe Ramazzotti from Italy. After he died, his family sold the books to me. Also in here, we have a book, Test the People's Knowledge of Languages, by uh, Simonis Pulley, called The Abuse of Tobacco from 1665. And I let everybody try to read the title or the date. You know, when we went to school, we understood Roman numerals. Today, the kids don't. <laughs> and you even had a problem reading that when you were here. That was because we were in the refrigerator a couple of times before we got back there. And then outside the door there, into the bathroom, into the bathroom I have a big serving tray of Havana cigars by a Klein and Company makers. Then I have a contract from 1825 on the purchase of tobacco for the ship. We have old Franklin Delano Roosevelt cigar box uh, liners. And then in that curious tub that you mentioned, and I just opened the, uh, the curtains to the tub, there are six boxes of old catalogs, pipe and cigar catalogs from the 1860s onwards. And people who spend the night, I have to take everything out of the tub so they can use the tub. <laughs> Inside the closet in the bathroom, where most people have towels and et cetera, I have those in a small area, but mostly I have picture frames on the bottom of old, old pipes and tobacco items from the 1840s onward. And this one here I'm looking at is 1860. It's called the Procedures de Fabrication de la Peep. The Saint Claude. Ooh. So we have those two. If you get bored, you can open that and look at them. <laughs> and what's in the last bedroom? Well, before we get to the last bedroom, I have my little workroom with parts and more parts. You know, uh, when I buy a pipe, which today is rare because I have what I want, sometimes you don't have them complete, so you have to complete them. And I have the amber stems and the coloring bowls and the flex hoses and etc. So I have a room with that. Then we'll go into the second bedroom. As we walk in there, there's a big picture frame of North Carolina flu-cured tobacco. This is from about the 1940s. And then we're in the room. The first thing you see when you're in the room is a tobacco chair. Do you know what a tobacco chair is? No. A tobacco chair, or a smoking chair, as they call it, uh, these were created around 1780, and they were big in the early 1800s. It's a cushion-like chair, only when you sit on it, you don't sit like you sit on today's chairs. You sit with your stomach facing the, the back of the chair, and your arms on a padded top, and you're smoking your pipe there, or your cigars. And inside the the back of the chair where you rest your elbows, there's a drawer that you can put your tobacco-related items. Hmm. In this case, this chair here, which appeared in one of the local magazines called Forbes Magazine, they came over in December, uh, the article was December 22, 2003, they spent four hours taking photos of this chair because it was unique. As I was getting ready for them, I did research, and we found a love letter written on the, on the sliding box on the chair, which was from the original owner, 
he was about to die, and he didn't want his wife to worry, so he wrote a love letter on the back of the box in German, in pencil, saying that he had two great loves in his life, his wife and his chair, and he hoped that she would keep the chair forever as a memory. She never saw that. The kids never saw it. A hundred years later, we bought the chair, and finally somebody opened it up. Wow. And in they, the room. And did they design that chair so that when you were when you were smoking, you were leaning away, the, the ash wasn't falling on your clothing or down no, into your it, lap? No, it, it, it was not. It was not. Plus, you have a smoking cap. You're familiar with the old smoking caps. They had those yeah. there to prevent the odor of the tobacco from going onto the man's hair but when he and his wife would sleep at night, depending on what they smoked. You know, in the 17 and 1800s, there wasn't high-quality tobacco. So the odor was there. Plus, they used the, the hat when they would smoke outdoors to keep their head warm. So we have a, maybe two or three dozen antique smoking caps. <laughs> now we're in the second room, second bedroom. We have a large display case in here, uh, double display cases filled with uh, porcelain pipes from about the early 1800s up until about 1912. The most famous one in the case here has appeared in two magazines. It's a combination of Napoleon with his sword and the cannon. The cannon itself with the wheels is a pipe. And then we have all types of pipes in there. The rare pipes in this case is that there are porcelain pipes. You're familiar with porcelain pipes with the long stems? Yeah. Some of them were called student pipes, others were called regimental pipes, etc. And what we found in our exploration was we found porcelain pipes with one bowl, two bowl, three bowl, and four bowl assemblies. And we have those. Then we have something here. How's your history? Uh, Not too good, but I'll give it a try. Have you ever heard of the Charge of the Light Brigade? Yes. Well, when I was in England several years back at an antique shop, I found something. Uh, It was the pipe and the ashtray, as you would call it, of Lieutenant Colonel John Douglas of the 11th Hussars. And he he led his brigade in the charge of the Light Brigade, and we've had it authenticated. A question for you, Brian. Mm-hmm. You're pretty heavy in tobacco. When was the uh, when was the first ashtray actually made, as we know it? I'm going to say around 1620, 1630. A lot of people say that because there's been smoking, as we know it, in Western Europe since about 1550. But if you look back at any of the paintings or at anything at that time, you'll notice that they were either jars or jugs or things that they put the lit cigar or whatever else they were smoking into. But ashtrays that we know of them started when they had a lip on the circular item or rectangular item to put the cigar or the cigarette in later days. And that, as I said, came about in the second quarter 1800s. Did you know that? No. No, I thought they I thought they started when Disneyland opened in 1955. Well, by the way, I still have that gift you gave me, that pack of matches. People still love looking at it from the, your Disney experiences. It, you know, you are the only person that I have ever given or even parted with a part of my collection for, so... Mm. Well, 
by the way, a lot of people get things confused, uh, especially in cigar areas. Like I get a lot of people who smoke both cigars and pipes, mm-hmm. and they don't realize that the cigars as we know them today were not the same cigars that were smoked in the 17 and 1800s. At that time, they were little cheroots, yeah. maybe a diameter of 18 to 20 on a three or four inch uh, section. And I have a lot of old Chirut cigar cutters from the 1800s and 1700s. Uh, many of those, you have the, the globe with a flame, and then you take out the, the wand, and then you light the, the wand with the flame, and then you light the, uh, light the cigar or the pipe. Wow. Are you familiar with those? Yeah, I've seen those, and uh, the only place I saw it was at your place. Oh, <laughs> but there's a little of everything for people. Uh, many of the people who come over come over to borrow my books, especially authors, because I have a pretty decent library, and they'll sit here and use the computer, and uh, I'll just do my thing, and they'll be doing their thing. Now, do you have everything in the museum cataloged? No. Uh, I do not. Do you know how long it would take to do it? I I catalog, I catalog the books over about three years on and off, and I got fifteen pages of books. I mean, uh, <laughs> you know, if I tried to do that today, it would take forever. Uh, I know what I have. My wife knows what I have, but as I'm getting older, you know, the kids want us to keep the museum would be too much work for them because once we're gone they've got to pay the taxes the assessments and everything and my wife is thinking that sometime in the next few years we may be starting to sell well let me ask you this because we're getting to the end of this first of all what are you looking for now are you looking for anything new for the museum i i upgrade every section i have 23 sections so i upgrade every section I'm working on three right now. I'm working on finding more of the tobacco jars that I mentioned to you from the 1600s to the 1800s. Yeah. I'm working on getting more uh, clay pipe holders, and I'm working on getting the uh, the uh, lighter flints, the old uh, pre uh, pre uh, cigarette lighters or pipe lighters, etc. This is the spark ignition that was like similar to an old rifle, the spark to ignite it. So I'm looking at those three, plus I'm collecting the old tobaccos. By old tobaccos, I mean unopened tobaccos from the 1880s to the 1920s, sealed with the revenue stamps on them. And tell your people, be careful. Today I started to see a lot of uh, replicas or fraudulent items being sold, too. So be careful what they buy if they buy those. And if they need an expert opinion, they can also call you. Yeah, but I'm no expert. I mean, I, I read read, and I forget 90% of what I've learned, uh, but I can get them onto the right track if they, if they need help. So I'm working on that and a few other things. Plus, I do research for some of the museums and the libraries. And they love it. I don't charge a penny, but they get good work. With that, we'll wrap it up, Frank, with the fast five final questions. No right answer, no wrong answer. First thing that comes to your mind, short or long, doesn't matter. Are you ready? 
Go ahead. What's your favorite pipe? Uh, a billiard. What's your favorite tobacco? Uh, English, usually Maltese Falcon or 965. What's your favorite drink? Uh, Diet Pepsi. And where, well, let's, this is easy, that one's easy, but uh, what's your favorite thing to do while smoking a pipe? Reading. And where is your favorite place to smoke your pipe? The same as everybody who else comes here. On one of my wingback chairs with the ottoman and a drink. And, and we, you're welcome to come over again. I haven't seen you here in a couple of years. It's been a few years. So, I mean, that your, your lady guard there scared me pretty good. So, <laughs> Frank, thank you for everything. Don't forget to eat your vegetables. Okay, guy. We'll be have a wonderful day, and thank you for the interview. Thank you for giving us a, a virtual tour of the Frank P. Burla Museum. We'll be back in My just boy. a minute. <laughs> This is Internet Radio. There's nothing quite like working in my shop or smoking my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe, an American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. Check them out at corncobpipe.com. I'm Mark from Ohio, and I've tried so many tobaccos, but I just still can't find something that is just magical, a tobacco that I can fall in love with. I mean, I've tried reading reviews online and participating in forum discussions only to get burned. When I was about to give up, I discovered this amazing matching system for finding my perfect blend at SutliffTobacco.com. That's how I found my perfect blend, and I just love it. Finding the right tobacco doesn't have to be hard. There are lots of tobaccos waiting for you to fall in love with them. Finding that special tobacco shouldn't be left up to chance. Experience the magic of compatibility with our patented Perfect Match system. Try it at SutlifeTobacco.com. Go to SutlifeTobacco.com right now and find your perfect blend. We are back here in the smoke-filled recording studio, and let me tell you, Frank is one of the one of the most welcoming, most kind hosts you will ever meet. Uh, Frank is also what he didn't mention uh, served the country in Vietnam and spent his entire professional life as an FBI agent. Who is uh, Frank's now about to celebrate twenty years of retirement from the bureau. Uh, if you ever want to tease Frank, ask him if he met Ephraim Zimbalist Jr. Anyway, if you are going to be in the Chicago area and you want to see the museum, give Frank plenty of notice, but you can email him at the letter F, the letter P, and Burla, B-U-R-L-A, so it's F-P-B-U-R-L-A at AOL.com. Again, that's fpburla at aol.com. Give him plenty of notice, though, so that he can make sure and have your drinks and schedule some time there. It's definitely worth the trip. If you're going to be anywhere in the uh, Chicago, northern Illinois area, make sure and get a hold of Frank. Uh, Frank was also, not only is he a member of the Doctor of Pipes, but he was very instrumental in starting up and getting the Chicago Pipe Show up to the level that it is now, the world-class event. Part of that's because of Frank's personality. But what I thought was interesting was I've got one more clip from Rick Newcomb's audiobook. 
and it discusses the uh, 2009 Chicago Pipe Show. Remember, Rick's book is available at audible.com or downloadable at amazon.com. Still Searching for Pipe Dreams by Rick Newcomb. Chapter 3, 2009 Chicago Pipe Show. All right, so now this is the commentary for Chapter 3, 2009 Chicago Pipe Show. Uh, A couple interesting things about this chapter. One is that you obviously wrote it in 2009 um, at that specific pipe show, and two is is you out of all the pipe shows that you go to and you've been to, you, you picked Chicago. Um, for a lot of people who don't know, uh, that's your hometown. That's where you're from. Uh, that's where you grew up. Um, why why did you pick Chicago? Why why the Chicago Pipe Show? Well, of all the pipe shows, um, Chicago has become the event. Uh, it's international. They, I think. I've, usually over 65 countries, thousands of people, um, pipe makers, pipe distributors, pipe dealers, pipe collectors, kids, meaning 18 to 21, you know, a lot of young people, a lot of old people, 81 to 95. Uh, You have all age groups. Um, It's just so much fun. It's like it's the granddaddy of pipe shows. But why do you think Chicago has had that sort of success and not – L.A. or Vegas or New York or uh, even a European pipe show? Well, I would say that it's primarily because of one man named Frank Burla. Frank's a retired FBI agent who had this dream of putting on the Chicago Pipe Show and, and building it into an international thing. He doesn't call it that. It's called, um, I don't know, some long-winded name about international Chicago something or other. But uh, Frank had this idea, and... Um, the Chicago Pipe Club is is a good, strong, solid, active pipe club, and so they have regular meetings. And my good friend Ed Lehman was in Chicago, and Ed told me one day he, when I was visiting my parents, Ed said, "Would you be interested if we, if I picked you up uh, at your parents' place and and we drove out to Frank's house in the western suburbs, and he wants to talk to me about this new pipe show he's planning, a new kind of pipe show, and in the meanwhile." Frank has more pipes than anybody. He's been in the Guinness Book of World Records or something. I can't remember what Ed said, but he said he has like 38,000 pipes. He once bought out a museum that was going on, a pipe museum, or it's maybe Peter Stokeby's entire collection or something. I don't know. I don't know how he acquired 38,000 pipes, but uh, it was amazing. Um, and Frank jokes now that he's thinned it down to 20,000 or some incredible number. But I said, oh, absolutely. Um, I'd love to go with you. So... You know, we talked, and I think I even traded a uh, pipe with Frank. I loved Frank from the first time I met him. I hadn't met him before, um, but I, I'm not sure where. I didn't go to the, the Chicago shows in the 80s, um, but in any event, while Frank was telling Ed about, you know, this could be a truly international show, I was on all fours in his house uh, going through pipes. He He brought out these giant green vats they were like plastic vats i mean basically like trash bins only they were unused you know they were all clean and you know he asked what kind of pipes do you like i said i like american made pipes i like danish pipes so he said here's the danish uh, vat so can you help wheel it out so the two of us wheeled it out there must have been i don't know two thousand pipes they didn't have any sleeves or boxes or anything and they were all used 
And it was just incredible. I was on all fours. You know, I'd find a, a Teddy Knudsen or a Tawny Nielsen or, I mean, really beautiful pipes. But in the meanwhile, I was kind of listening in the background as, as Frank was outlining his plans for the Chicago Pipe Show. Well, then as the years went by and Ed Lehman died and other people, other friends died or dropped out of the hobby. And, you know, I watched this thing and, and new friends came in and, and the pipe collecting grew. I mean, I watched this show go from, uh, like, I remember when we were in Harvey, Illinois, and my brother-in-law said, Harvey, and he lived there in Chicago. He said, are you going to bring a machine gun? I said, why? He said, it's not a very good neighborhood, you know. I said, well, I don't know. We do the best we can. Uh, you know, I have a friend uh, who's a doctor who had just come from a medical conference, um, and he's a pipe collector. he just come from a medical conference. I think it was in Canada, and he was telling me he was staying at the Four Seasons Hotel, and now suddenly he's at the Ramada Inn in Harvey. And it was quite a difference, but still he was there for pipes. So once, once it's the world of pipes, we all love it. So in 2009, we were going through a pretty bad recession, and I just thought I, I wanted to write about this. Also, I think Frank Berla was talking about retiring, which he subsequently did. And he uh, appointed Craig Cobine to be his successor. And Craig's a Chicago attorney and a great guy and, and doing a fantastic job. There you go. Rick said it better than I could have ever said it. Mail call. Let me start out the mailbag by saying thank you to a whole list of folks because in the past uh, couple of weeks we've gotten some great reviews on iTunes. So thank you to Keep Up With Jay, Robert Forbes, uh, CosmicFolklore.com. And J. Allen 9339. Yeah, and thank you all for those reviews on iTunes. I agree, not every part of the show is going to be for you, but every part of the show is going to be the best it can be. Uh, please, if you get a chance, keep those iTunes reviews coming in. The reviews and ratings really do help the show get found. Remember, if you've got friends that smoke a pipe, Make sure that they know about the uh, Pipes Magazine radio show. We're uh, coming up on our one-year anniversary here. Last week's show with Gary Schreier, lots of positive comments on that. Hope you guys please let me know when you pick up the books from them. Let me know what you think of them. Post a, post a review of the books in the uh, thread for that show. I'd appreciate it. I think one of the uh, truly beautiful things of this hobby and one of the things that I'm enjoying the most about doing this show is in the last four episodes, it went from Paul Creasy, tobacco manufacturer, to Beth Stern reviving the smoking jackets, to Gary Schreier, an author and publisher, to Frank Burla, a historian collector of pipes. So the broad range of people... The broad spectrum of people in our hobby is absolutely wonderful. And uh, coming up in the future, i got a couple more interesting pure hobbyists that uh, found me or I found them and we'll have them on the show. So variety is the spice of life and uh, we'll keep this show nice and spicy for you. Uh, speaking of spicy... I want to brag a little bit because uh, I wandered around one of the local antique malls and I, about a year ago I found a couple of pipes there that, that I enjoyed. And this last time when I was walking through there on Saturday, just getting out of the heat and getting out stretching my legs, ran into a uh, couple of pipes. One's a connoisseur from Ed Barak's shop in New York City and the other one, a uh, Pipeworks 
by Elliot Knockwalter with a great shape. So, unfortunately, they were oxidized to the point where I couldn't clean them, so I'm sending them off to have them professionally cleaned, and we'll see how they smoke. Uh, speaking of smoking, eh, check out my Facebook page, and you'll see the pipe that I was smoking during tonight's show, because uh, back in... Jan, uh, back in June, I was the winner of the Smokers Haven Primal Cheddar Pipes contest on Facebook. My uh, sandblasted Lovat showed up. So that's what I've been smoking all during the show. All right, everybody, rant time coming up next. Does anything beat relaxing on the patio or playing 18 holes with a fine cigar during the summertime? Kathy of Cup of Joe's has the place for you. Queensberry Cigar and Pipe. Enjoy their cigar lounge with three large screen TVs or a patio to soak in the rays. You have to check out their beautiful cedar-lined walk-in humidor and their huge selection of pipes to choose from. They even have fast delivery for those of you that are out of the area. Queensberry Cigar and Pipe, Route 9 Queensberry. On Facebook under Cup of Joe's Cigars and Pipes and the web at cupojoes.com. I'm not just a pipe smoker. I'm a Meerschaum pipe smoker. All of my pipes come from MeerschaumStore.com. They've been in business for 50 years, and I can trust that there will be no hassles. Orders are processed and shipped fast, and they have every shape you can imagine, including calabash, claws, dragons, horror, even a sexy series. MeerschaumStore.com, the most trusted Meerschaum store for 50 years. I mentioned to you, besides having the perfect face for radio, I'm about six foot tall and with shoes on about six foot one in the morning. By the end of the day, I'm about 5'11". Uh, did I mention to you in the past couple of, uh, in the past month or so, I've been to a concert, yes, saw Bruno Mars, and we went and saw The Lion King. Well, here's my problem. I'm six foot tall and I've got a bit of a conscience also. I really don't like the fact that when I sit down in a chair, if somebody behind me is 5'4", 5'5", 5'6", or something like that, they're looking at my big 7 and 5 eighths hat size head right in front of them. It's also more comfortable for me to kind of slouch down in the chair, so I just naturally try to lower myself down so that I can see. Well, here's my problem. When it comes to the Bruno Mars concert, we've got great seats. They're on the last, uh, they're on the first set of risers going up off of the floor. The riser is about three and a half, maybe four inches off of the floor. So I sit down in my chair. I look behind me. There's a nice young couple behind me, obviously not real tall. So I tell them, you know, hey, look, I'll try to stay out of your way. You know, really don't need to see over the people that yeah, it won't be that hard for me to see over the people sitting in my chair. Well, everybody stands up on the floor section in front of me, and to see the entire stage, I had to stand up. So what did I do? I stepped off of that riser into what was about a 30-foot clear space of arena floor and just stood in front of my wife. I'm standing flat on the floor there, got my feet on the floor, butted up against the riser. Security comes and tells me that I've got to be up on the riser and got to be 
out of the way in case of, you know, got to keep the area clear, got to keep the area clear. Well, I'm six foot tall. I stand on that riser and the people that are five, four, five, five behind me, what are they looking at? They're looking at the back of my head. Same thing happened at the Lion King slow or low sloping auditorium. Anybody sitting behind me was lost if I sat up straight or kind of looked out, you know, kind of stood up a little bit. They were completely blocked by me. So anybody building a uh, theater or an auditorium now, why don't you keep in mind that uh, most average people are getting taller and most average people like to be able to see what they're paying for. So there's your rant. There's the show. Hey, don't forget... Keep those iTunes ratings and reviews coming. Keep uh, emails on uh, your favorite parts of the shows from the past year. If you are interested in advertising on the Pipes Magazine radio show, email Kevin Godby, Kevin at PipesMagazine.com. He handles all that stuff. Uh, Next week, going to be in Nashville. So I will be uh, doing the show from my hotel room in Nashville getting ready for the uh, Southern Fried Pipe Club weekend in Nashville. If you're going to be there, make sure and stop by and see me on Saturday at Uptowns. With that, I will say thank you to Sutliff Tobacco Company. Thank you to all of you for tuning in. And until next time. the clouds when we're together just sing a song and think about sunny weather Tonight's wit and sarcasm brought to you by my heritage and 45 years on the planet. Tonight's smooth delivery brought to you by Maker's Mark Bourbon. Thank you, Peter. <laughs>